Welcome to the Republican Professor. Today, it's just me. We got an administrative day today. I have gotten feedback from some people that they want to hear more of my teaching experience over the years. And so today I'm going to talk about the time I had one student. That's the story. But before I get to it, I just wanted to tell you a little bit about what my day has been so far today. I had a meeting with my dean and we talked about the challenges of uh, the new ways that students cheat with technology and how to handle that at a um, with integrity and um, from a Christian perspective. It's a Christian school. I'm teaching a course. I slated to teach a course this fall that uh, is different than anything I've ever taught. It's introduction to international relations for for like freshmen, I think. I'm still trying to wrap my mind around that because my understanding of freshmen is that they don't know much about uh, history and stuff like that. So I am... I'm nervous, people. I'm nervous, and I'm um, uh, usually what I try to do is I try to come up with the main point I want my students to get, and then I try to develop like you know two or three sub points, like you know three. If they if they come away with three major things. And they can remember that going forward, like for 30 years, I will feel like I did a great job because in my experience, you just can't um, expect them to retain all this information, you know, that, and, and so I hate to douse them with information with no goal. Like, it's okay to like, you know, Hey, here, you know, boom, put it on them. As long as, there's some redemptive goal that you want them to link it to that will help them for 30 years. I can't in good conscience uh, do that. So I, I'm, I'm leaning toward is I think that they probably, I want to have, give them a good solid hold on the cold war and uh, the war on terror. I think that's kind of where I'm headed. Um, let me know what you think. I still have uh, a little time. I'm I'm working pretty hard to develop this thing because I just got assigned it and I don't, I'm scrambling. I'm trying to figure out what, thinking about using uh, Richard Pius's uh, Why Presidents Fail as some historical background from the Cold War. Uh, it's not all about foreign policy. Some of it's like the, the Bill Clinton chapters about healthcare, but, but that way I can give an American politics angle on international relations and view it from the lens of the presidency, which is uh, the institution that's mainly responsible for foreign affairs. Anyway, I don't want to bore you with all that. That's that's my day going so far. I, uh, I'm going to share my screen really quickly and show you the kind of uh, thing I, I spent my time producing so you can see what I'm what my concern is, um, 
in producing the podcast, I, if you're listening on audio, I'm now sharing a Reason TV or Reason Magazine video that was just posted on Facebook. I was live on it for a while, not as a guest, but just as a watcher. It's got Jay Bhattacharya, Zach Weissmuller, and John Fetchoni. I don't know how to say his last name. He's with the New Civil Liberties Alliance. Anyway, the connection with the podcast is that John Fecchioni, <laughs> I don't know how to say his last name. It's Italian. Uh, they were, well, the New Civil Liberties Alliance founder was on the Republican Professor podcast a year ago, well, actually over a year ago. His name is Philip Hamburger, and he teaches at Columbia University in New York Law School. And um, so I'm really happy to see this connection with the podcast. And I'm I'm really happy that this discussion happened. I shared it on my personal Facebook and I'm going to share it uh, on the Republican Professor Facebook. So please uh, take an hour and a half if you can and listen to it or watch it, have it on in the background. It's there's a there's a little quote snippet from joe biden talking to the new york times a video that i'd never seen before and i was quite shocked by it um so you, you know for that reason alone it's worth uh having on i think it was about the hour mark if you want to know but anyway back to my story about the time i had just one student a little uh a few fun facts about that semester. It was uh, the fall of 2016. The school was California State University Northridge. Um, I, I cannot recall how many courses I was teaching at the time there. Um, I think it was at least three. It might have been four. I can't remember. But I I had this uh, Saturday course, critical thinking and logic. I think it was critical reasoning or something like that. I think it was a 200 class, the Phil 200 class. And I was really happy it was going to be on Saturdays, I think at 11 a.m. or something. I like teaching on Saturdays. The reason is, is because the the traffic is very different uh, in LA and I was driving from South LA County. Well, actually um, I was living in orange County at the time to, if you know, Northridge it's, it's the city of Los Angeles in the Valley and it's the Northern most part of the city. And it takes about an hour to get there. If everything is uh, right on perfectly. The way I would typically go is I would go, you could go up to 57 through Pasadena and in Pasadena, I would always grab some coffee at the Pete's coffee there off of Lake or off of, um, <clears throat> there's another one off of Foothill, I, I believe it is. Um, and there's two Pete's there. I see the guy from West Wing there sometimes, uh, the guy that played Bradley Whitford, I think he was, he's, he's the guy that played, I forget his name on the show. But anyway, he looks a little different. He looks way older now, obviously, but 
I stop there. I go over the hump on the 210, miss traffic, and uh, hit the 118 over, uh, which is the Ronald Reagan freeway. I thought I would mention on the Republican Professor podcast. And then I dip down on Reseda and go in from the north. More information than you ever want to know, but usually the parking lot is fairly empty. And anyway, about, so this is 16, this is about seven years ago. I showed up to my first day of class and I don't check the enrollment before I show up. And the reason is, is because it gives me anxiety because as an adjunct professor, if nobody is signed up, they don't have enough enrollment, then you don't get paid. Right. And so I do remember that I, I remember agreeing to teach the class. I didn't get any email saying it was canceled. I don't believe. Uh, so I showed up in faith that this class was going to go and I'm, the building is virtually empty. <clears throat> I'm walking through the building. My classroom, the lights were dark and there was nobody in there. And so my heart sank because I, you know, I was really looking forward to that class. Um, actually we had budgeted to where we didn't need it, <laughs> but since I'm a second amendment advocate, I had already budgeted if I was going to get the class to use, uh, that, those, uh, uh, relatively unexpected funds for second amendment research. And some of you know what that means. And someone, some of you know what the significance of the fall of 2016 was for the state of California and for the second amendment. So it was important to me. Um, I, I was, my heart sank when I saw the, the classroom dark and I'd never experienced that before. Cause typically the students get there the first day, there's usually at least one, usually several and the, the lights are on and the students are waiting and, uh, this class was dark. And so I thought, man, I wonder if it was canceled, but usually they put uh, a note on the door saying that that class has been canceled and there was no note on the door. So I went inside and I turned on the lights and I think I was there about 10 minutes early, maybe. So I waited and I waited and I waited. And finally, uh, I think 20 minutes later or so, I think one student showed up and I gave that student the, the syllabus and, uh, finally, and, you know, probably like five minutes later, another student showed up and then a couple minutes after that, another student showed up and then another student showed up. And I think we had like five total that bothered to come in to that class. And I found out later that there were five students enrolled in that class. And I didn't know that I would, I'm glad I didn't check because I would have been very upset. I would have been, I would have taken it very hard. I would have worried that it was going to be canceled. And one of the students that showed up, 
was not even enrolled in the class. So I thought, oh, we might have six. My understanding was that was below the minimum required for the class to go. I don't know what happened. I don't know if they made an exception for that class for some reason because it was Saturday and they were trying to trying something. I don't know. Um, <clears throat> but what I do know is this, that I ended up with just one student. And I do know this. When you have a big classroom that can fit 30 to 40 students, comfortably 30 students can fit in there. And I was used to teaching classes that were full or almost full. Vast majority of my classes are at least halfway filled, at least. And I've had some classes that were huge, like 80 students where they can't even fit in the classroom, you know, basically. Uh, makes you feel really good when you walk into a huge classroom like that. Um, it makes you feel like it's all about you. <laughs> um, it can make you feel that way. I, I, I eventually uh, became a little not crusty, but I, I became humble. <laughs> but this class, man, was virtually empty. And I felt like I had to keep these people happy. I'm just telling you how I felt at the time on that first Saturday, I felt like I had to be entertaining. I felt like I had to be really likable. I, or I was going to lose the class. They were going to drop and that's it. You know, no, no money for that semester, which would have been very helpful for my research interests in the second amendment. Uh, I would say crucial because I couldn't afford, you know, honestly, I couldn't afford my second amendment research stuff. Um, which is a huge interest of mine. It ended up being part of my dissertation, PhD dissertation. And it's been a huge part of the podcast, the Second Amendment. And I know that a lot of uh, that, the confidence I have in the Second Amendment comes from, from uh, having that initial money um, for the research interests that I needed to, pursue. So I'm sitting there and I started teaching the class. I started going over the syllabus. And as I was going through the syllabus, I mean, I, I have a pretty firm syllabus, no grade inflation. There's, there's, there's quizzes, there's tests. It's not easy. I try to make it as clear as possible. I try to make it as easy as possible. I don't really put it that way, but I try to make it as easy to understand as possible, certainly easier than just reading the textbook, although you could do that if you were really motivated. And, you know, they had to buy the textbook and, and textbooks are very expensive. And these students, some of them didn't have any money. And <laughs> my, my, my point is, is that I'm feeling existentially this angst 
and this pressure, economic pressure, social pressure, to in to to lower academic standards because I can tell these students are teeter tottering. They might stay, they might go. They're not really students in the uh, sense of the word, but I got to pay rent. And so what I'm trying to say is there's this conflict when there's a small class, sometimes you feel it in your soul. It's a battle when there's a lot of students. I don't feel that battle. I'm like, I'm going to be a hard professor. I don't mean to be, I'm not going to be a jerk, but I'm going to be firm and I'm going to um, teach the, teach my heart out. And if you are ready for that, you're going to very much benefit and everybody, you know, will benefit because you're going to become, come out of this thing, a better person, a better soul and mind. But when you have a small class, it's very difficult to do that. <clears throat> And I want to contrast that with two other experiences I had with small classes. Okay. I had very early in my teaching career at Marpark College. It was in 2007. It was in the spring. I had, uh, I was a guinea pig. Ranford Hopkins, who was the chair of the social science department. Delightful man. He was on my hiring committee. Um, I think he was the best chair I ever had, by the way, Ranford Hopkins, Moorpark College, best chair. I really should do an episode on what it makes a really good chair. Oh, I, I just love that guy. I love him so much. I was so glad to see him before he retired and get a picture with him. And I have a picture with him on my Facebook. I'm not going to pull that picture up now, but if I do a, maybe, uh, section on what makes a great chair i'll i'll show you some pictures but anyway R ranford <clears throat> approached me and he said hey would you like to do an experiment we're going to try a monday wednesday class at 7 30 we've never tried one that early would you know let's make it logic and i said okay five people signed up for the class and they did not drop it i think the the minimum was eight or something like that and and so I had five people very early in my teaching career. I'd only been teaching for a couple of years, but I had to drive all the way to Moorpark College, get there by 730. And so it was very similar. And with that teaching experience, um, I handled it a little differently. Um, maybe I'll talk about that another time. I, I had it in 2015 in the summer. I had a small class at Pepperdine. And I'd never had a tiny class at Pepperdine before besides independent studies. I did an independent study on bioethics uh, with one student before. But, but this class had four students. And I had to drive all the way to Malibu. And if you know where that is, uh, Orange County, you know, is down here. Malibu's up here. And it's, it's at least an hour drive. Now, it's a nice drive. I'm not complaining. Okay, I stop in Santa Monica at the Pete's in the middle, pop up PCH, and ordinarily there's not too much traffic. Ordinarily, I could do it in an hour and 10 minutes. The parking on Pepperdine sucked, but 
now at Pepperdine, I was a very different experience because when I showed up there, I didn't, I wasn't worried about trying to entertain those students. I got the impression immediately that they were serious students immediately and that I could push them and that I could have really good standards. And so I, I, it was, it was really the students that changed the the dynamic there. I, I, I sensed that they were serious. Now I was surprised that none of them dropped and that all of them sat right next to each other and all of them were excellent students the entire time. <laughs> so, uh, and I have fond memories of, of those students still to this day, those four students. So um, now this Cal State Northridge though, that's a different thing. That's a very different, so I'm I'm sitting I'm I'm teaching the class, and I even had I even felt pressure to let them go early, and I thought you know I I can't do that because if I do that it's going to set a precedent. So I I taught the taught the entire time. I asked them to be on time. I said that there will be quizzes at the beginning of the class to enforce that, and uh, I had I think four students the following week and i may have even given a quiz that first week just on that first material just to set an example and then the following week i think they had three students and i think even one of them left in the middle and then i had two and then by the end of september i had one student one student, one. So I was driving an hour at least through LA, that cesspool of democracy. By the word democracy, I don't mean the lofty things that you think of. I think of uh, all of the uh, short-sighted things that mobs do. The lack of responsibility for what you have. Mobs don't take responsibility for anything. And that's what LA is, basically. I drove all the way up there to teach one student. And I looked at my paycheck. I got paid the full amount. That first month, I was a little bit worried. I was like, okay, hmm. I had to wait till the end of September to get paid. And it was my full amount. I was getting paid as if I had 30 students. And so because of professionalism for me, I felt like I need to teach this as if it's 30 students. And so, and I, I, it was very difficult for me but I did. I, I drove all the way up there and most of the time he was there on time. Most of the time, there was a few times he was late, <laughs> but he would always apologize. Like, I think it, maybe he was late two or three times. Maybe he was definitely late the first time. And in fact, actually, I don't think he even was in the class at the very beginning. I think he added 
think he was the one that added. <laughs> yeah, I just realized. I think he was the one that added. He wasn't the one that was in originally the class. All those people dropped. He was the one that was just checking it out. And I, I could tell he had a good dad. I could tell that he had good parents. His dad worked for Mel Gibson um, for decades. Um, my guess is he, I, I probably shouldn't say too much. I'm not going to say too much then. But uh, he, he was raised well. And um, let me focus on what, what the experience was like for me. I, most of the time, it was hard for me to drive up there and teach one student. And I really wrestled with it. I, I, I would oscillate between being at peace with it, like as I was driving, and being depressed and sad and disappointed. Of course, the election of the fall was happening at the same time. And uh, this, this student was Hispanic. Um, I think he was an American citizen. Uh, I'm not sure about his, his dad, but uh, he um, was concerned about Trump. He was interested in Trump. And so we did process that one-on-one -on -one while it was happening. We didn't do that too much because we were trying to learn logic, but it was relevant to what we were talking about. Cause you know, we talk about fallacies and ad hominem and some, some of the, the, the media uh, depictions of the candidates. And uh, I had the, uh, he, he figured out where I was coming from politically and he, and he didn't drop the class. He never, he he never uh, I, I think maybe the the background of Mel Gibson might have been part of that, but I don't know. Um, he uh, you could tell he really wanted to understand the world, and he was a pretty good student. Um, uh, I won't tell you what his grade was, but it wasn't an A, but he. So nobody got an A that semester. <laughs> um, it, it was just an odd experience for me. It was a supremely odd. And so I'm a Christian. I, I like to process things uh, spiritually. And I was like, Lord, what are you doing with my life? What are you doing with me here? And I really had the sense that God was, I didn't have this like all at once, but I, had a growing sense bit by bit that what God was showing me was that one student is worth it. If you reach one person, it's worth it. And I'm not saying this student adored me. I'm not saying anything. It, it, probably not. But the student made a commitment to this class and i made a commitment to teach that class to him as if there were 30 people in the class and that's how i taught the class and after the class or during breaks and yes i would have break i would have okay it's time for a break 
and yeah, he would, you know, he would go like, go get a snack in the snack machine or he would, you know, and then we would maybe chat a little bit about the election or, or whatever. And then I would go back to lecturing and I would give him quizzes. Just, I would write the quiz on the board, just like I do for the whole class. Uh, reason I write it on the board is because I can't type it out and go get a printer because they don't, they frown on you printing things and copying things on the copier. They let you do it, but they keep track. And, and it's not like how it used to be where, you know, they, they say we want a paperless, which I think is ridiculous. Um, I think that you need paper, but anyway, I would write it on the board. It's fine. I would take a picture of it just to make sure I had the copy of the quiz. Um, And I, I got the sense that God was sh showing me and teaching me is that uh, God, he, the Lord is there in the unexpected and just roll with it and do the best you can. And that's oftentimes all you really have as a professor. So anyway, I wanted to share that story with you a bit about that story. It, it still sticks out in me as a particularly memorable thing. I, I'm not saying I have warm feelings about it. I, I have some warm feelings, but I have a lot of really icky feelings about it as well. Not because of the student, not at all because of him. I really, I, we haven't kept in contact and I, I, I get the impression he's really busy. I have icky feelings about it just because of the anxiety that I had and the, the sadness that I had at that time during the fall 2016, what I witnessed on campus just generally. And then just the fear that I had for our society and for higher education because I, I felt I'm pretty strong in terms of standards, but I felt like it felt like higher ed is crashing down on itself. And the students, I do blame the students, but, but it's like, then again, these kids have grown up with, a world that I didn't have when I was a kid. I, when I was a kid, phones were on walls and you answered the phone, whether you knew somebody was who it was or not. We typically did not know who it was calling. Uh, we had letters in the mail and you had time to think about them before you replied. And you oftentimes didn't reply right away. So you had time to think about it. You, you know, we, we, it was a slower pace of life. And so, you know, ironically, that semester, since I was driving so much, I was driving up way up there just to teach one class, one student, I, I had a lot of time to think. I had a, in a way, I had a slower pace in a way. I had that time to myself to think and process I also had time to prepare for class because I would go over my lecture. I have most of my lectures memorized. 
I, I could listen to my lectures that I had recorded. And that's how, oftentimes how I prepare. Like I would listen to resources that I had recorded. Um, but they, they, these students, they don't have that slower pace and they're not even aware of it. That's the sad thing. They're not aware that there's a different way. There's not, they're not, they're so used to just picking up their phone when they feel anxious, try to feel better or their iPad or whatever, just the screen time, just constant screen time. And you adults, you know what I'm talking about. You know, you older adults, you know, cause you do the same thing sometimes. And can you imagine if you'd never known in a different way, if you'd never known books, the kind of, you know, we need to create a culture where books are appreciated. We slow down. We, we spend time listening without distraction. That's part of why I'm doing the podcast. So that's a little bit about the time I had one student. I could go on, but uh, it, it was, it's a painful memory, but I came out of it with some warm feelings. Um, and I keep visioning that classroom uh, that God uh, uh, oftentimes shows up in unexpected and unpronounced ways. It's not flashy. Oftentimes what, where the, where the true growth is happening, where the real precious encounters are happening, there's no witness to it at all. I mean, think about the movie, The Mission, and Ennio Morricone's uh, soundtrack to that. There's this part in the early part of the film where the missionary, the Jesuit, he's crucified by the uh, Indians in the jungle uh upside down and he's not crucified with nails he's i think he's just tied to a cross and he's put in the river and he goes over the waterfall upside down on the cross that's how it felt to me teaching one student and there's nobody witnessing this there's nobody in in the film the mission this this work this gospel work and actually even you might call social justice work because they were trying to enslave the Indians. And some of these missionaries fought back Bobby De Niro. Thank you. It's the only about the only thing he'd, I wish he would learn from that role because he used firearms to fight back self-defense, no second amendment there in the jungle, but, uh, there's no witness to what, what there's no, if, if that movie hadn't been made, you wouldn't even know about that. I mean, that's a real thing that happened. And I, I just want to remind you that a lot of the, the, the awesome stuff that happens in terms of higher education is in this really slow, tedious, stuff that's that's that that oftentimes is in conflict with 
with um, how we want to spend our day or how we want to spend our semester how and or even whether we're going to be able to pay for things we want the roof over our head and and what stands out to me about that semester is the commitment that this kid made and the commitment that I made and that student teacher relationship, even though there were nobody witnessing it, it was, it was pure and it was real. And I'm really thankful for that. I'm really thankful for that memory. It really happened. One student is worth it. When people ask about the podcast, hey, guys, it's just an opportunity to learn. It's an opportunity. I'm not trying to get a million followers. I, I don't want the douchification of the Republican professor. Okay. We're not looking for fans. A lot of what goes on, what, what really needs to go on to do the work that we're called to goes on in secret and it takes commitment. So I'm committed. Are you? I'll see you the next time around on the Republican Professor Podcast. This is me, Lucas Mather, signing off. See ya. Have a good day.